there's people out there looking for help. We're going to do whatever we can to help them, but we have to have individuals like myself and a few of my co-workers that have to crunch those numbers in order to, to get the funding that we need to keep this going. That's Donna Prosper. She's the executive director of the Native Alcohol and Drug Abuse Counseling Association and a proud member of the Eskasoni First Nation of Cape Breton Island, the largest Mi'kmaq community in the world. She's our guest on Minobimatsuin. In this series, we are focusing on the quality of addictions treatment services. Uh, so we welcome her conversation and what she has to share with you today. I'm Carol Hopkins, CEO of Thunderbird Partnership Foundation, an organization that supports First Nations across Canada in mental wellness. And today, I'm hosting Minobimatsuin. Minobimatsuin means living the good life in the language of Anishinaabe. And Thunderbird chose that as a name for the podcast because it captures what we all hope for, for ourselves and those that we care about. This podcast aims to seek and share insight about addictions and mental health issues that many of First Nations families and communities are dealing with. We're going to be fearless and have thoughtful and informative conversations with some of the leading voices in Indigenous wellness. Our aim is the same as Thunderbirds, to offer support in addressing substance use and addictions issues through a holistic approach to healing and wellness, one that is grounded in culture, Indigenous ways of knowing, with a connection to community and above all else, with kindness and compassion. The Native Alcohol and Drug Abuse Counseling Association, which Donna Leeds has provided addiction services for Mi'kmaq First Nations in the Atlantic region since 1971. They've done a lot of work over the many years that they have been providing services. Their vision is to provide First Nations with current best practices, wise practices that are community-based, culturally relevant delivered by certified addictions counselors, clinical and cultural therapists. And their model builds on and affirms the power and strength to overcome addictions and provide tools to reclaim self-worth, pride, and wellness. So welcome, Donna, to the Mino Bimazuin podcast. Thank you, Carol. I'm uh, very glad to be here with you. So Donna, in this podcast series... We want to talk about the quality of the um, live-in residential treatment services for First Nations. So the National Native Alcohol and Drug Abuse Program, um, which is where you work in, uh, your treatment center is uh, one of the uh, 55 treatment centers uh, f- across First Nations communities. And we understand that um, as part of your um contribution agreement or your requirements, you are accredited uh, by an accreditation body in Canada. And there are a number of them we know that treatment centers can reach out to for accreditation services. How do you understand quality at the board table? How do you see the governance standards being met at the board table in your in your board of directors work of the treatment center 
What does quality look like? If you could think about before you were accredited and after you're accredited, how has that helped your board of directors? So Natica, it's made up of both prevention and treatment, as well as an online wellness program. Uh, we've been accredited now for the last 13 years, and there's a lot of work involved in this, uh, what accreditation does for us. So right now, with through accreditation, we have um, obtained Canadian certification for governance and management um, Aboriginal wellness treatment, mental health, and enhanced addictions. Uh, what does this mean? This means that there are numerous standards that have to be met, um, interviews set up, uh, policies reviewed. Right now, we just spent the last year and a half updating our policies. Our policies would involve our it, any anything from our financial policies to policies with regards to assets, uh, our code of ethics, treatment center, salaries, our salary scales, our job descriptions, um, treatment expectations, treatment forms, prevention forms, emergency measures, occupational health and safety, and our even financial projections. This is a lot of work. Um, with the treatment centers, I think the way they had, you know, they've had their reporting requirements set up and we could never show the quality of work that we were doing because what the stuff that we were sending in wasn't accepted. So when, when we became accredited, then our reports were looked at it on a different level. Um, we would now, now we have all these, now we have all these numbers. So, um, therefore we can share that with our board, but, you know, at the end of the day, the accreditation has, it empowers staff. It, um, you know, it, it, it makes us look at how we are, you know, we're, our services, um, that are being provided are just as just as good, if not better, than some of the ones that we see that are that are off reserve. You had talked about gathering data, and that that data seems to hold a lot of weight in terms of recognizing the quality of your services. And you share that data with your board of directors, so they're able to monitor from that governance perspective rather than perhaps maybe getting involved in the administration and the running of the treatment services, that data helps your board of directors who are from First Nations communities or who makes up your board of directors? The board of directors are the, the chiefs, are a number of chiefs from the First Nations community, our grand chief and our district chief. So it helps these the leadership understand the quality of your services when you're able to share the data that you collect through the delivery of your treatment services. Is that right? Yes. Awesome. So can you tell us a little bit more about what the leadership perspective is when they when they review that data, when they does it help them understand your clients or your services? Just Describe for us how the leadership responds to the data. 
Well, it's it, it's mixed because it's not, um, you know, what number numbers numbers are numbers are great to have because we have to have them in order to get the funding. But at the end of the day, the leadership want to know how how the clients are doing, uh, which is not reflected in numbers. You know, personally, how they're doing and. You know, we don't, we're not looking at deficits. We're looking at, you know, successes that just because a person hasn't completed a program and we're able to explain all this stuff, um, it gives them an idea of the, just the magnitude of work that is, it is done within our facilities and, um, you know, where we're at as far as funding and, and when they're sitting down, uh, with our funders and, and able to advocate on us. They, they have, they have the backup that they need in order to do that. Um, but I think the biggest thing is, you know, our leadership never lose sight of, uh, cultural ways. And I know that we show them and they say, well, you know, give us the story. We want to know what's, what's actually going on within, and, and, and within the facilities and, where, where are people at right now? Donna, can you help our listeners understand that cultural story that tells you and the chiefs that sit at the board of directors table about the quality of your services? It's painting the picture for them so that they can see the real difference that um, your treatment Natica makes for clients, whether they're in residential treatment or outpatient or in virtual treatment. Tell us a story about that you would tell your board of directors about the, to understand the story of strength behind the numbers, the data that you report to your board. I think one of the big things is having the visuals for the board, doing those infographs that we do with, you know, giving that one sheet that has all the numbers on it and and they're looking and they're seeing well you know this is how many have how many men have come into our program how many women have come into our program and we always make sure that we have a map of the Atlantic region so that they see the magnitude of the areas that we are are reaching out to helping people and even with the online wellness program giving them a snapshot just having it listed who where people are coming from that are participating in, in, in those programs as well, too. Um, the utilization rate, I think those those numbers, because they're like, how can a number be that big? What is it, utilization Utilize, rate? Utilization rate is the number of activities, the percentage of activities that's happening within, within your programming and your treatment. So anything that is outside the schedule that you have. So um, both centers are constantly going like from the morning till night and offering um, additional programming, which would, that we're not, the treatment center may not be specifically funded for, but we might have a side project for it, which, you know, um, so ribbon ribbon skirt making, um, more more of a lot of the aftercare and prevention stuff that we do. So in addition to the uh, regular program that you would run every day for people who, who are living in the two treatment centers or who are joining you virtually or who you are providing outpatient services, you offer additional activities. 
And so that's ribbon skirt making. And so we would do uh, the ribbon skirt making. We have a lot of um, women's wellness programs. So we do, um, we have a lot of the, the, a lot of things online. So community members can call in and they can, you know, it's, it's put in a picture. We'll ask family members, um, you know, show something that with you, doing things with your children. Um, we have, we might have a baking day. So everybody comes in and they pick up their baking kit here and they go home and then they post their pictures of their baking kit. We have cultural therapists that we have coming in for both facilities. And the cultural therapists will, they'll do cultural teachings, seven sacred teachings, um, They'll talk about boundaries, mental wellness, um, self-esteem, anxiety, mindfulness, and goal setting. They'll do that sessions with the clients at, at both facilities. Then we have a clinical therapist. So all of these things are not permanent funding for the treatment centers, like the, the clinical therapist. That, that is a, that's a, that's um, project-based funding, proposal-based, proposal-driven. Okay. Yeah. So these really critically important pieces of treatment, a journey to wellness for people who are using substances, clinical counseling, cultural counseling, getting connected to identity, dealing with anxiety and depression. Like those are critical aspects of recovery. And yet, they're an add-on because it's not permanent funding for the treatment center Mm -hmm. is what you're saying. Yes. So what impact does that have on the treatment centers on, on the organization that is Natica when you can only rely on these services for a short period of time? So that's where it makes it very difficult when you're, you know, when you're, when you're bringing the information to the board of directors and you're showing them these numbers, and this is how hard we have to fight to keep this funding. And, you know, if um, just I'm looking at um, clinical therapy sessions, we have enough funding for a clinical therapist for three days a week. And this individual was able to um, provide, you know, 317 individual sessions this year. But in order for us to keep, we know how important that is. In order for us to keep this funding, I have to have these numbers. If I have to be able to provide those, and with the with our online wellness program, um, so this year we were we weren't sure how it was going to how it was going to to work out. Last year we had a hundred and seventeen. Um, individuals who completed the four-line online wellness program this year we had 98 but because we can prove that this is a valuable asset in filling the gaps with helping people and reaching those that are in need um, then we've been successful in, in maintaining that funding until it you know until it runs out but it's it's constant. Every single program that we have, besides the permanent funding for treatment, we have to go above and beyond providing um, a lot of information with regards to stats. And it can't even it doesn't even all just come from 
DME system. It has to be even collected um, every time in cultural therapists, clinical therapists, um, online wellness programs. The we have the like I said a minute ago the women's wellness. We have men's wellness. We have elder nights. All of those things have to be brought into um, you know accounted for in the numbers, and we do our best to 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 do that with a me, but then there's some things that you can't capture in that. So then we're writing, we're handwriting other reports. So what you're talking about, Donna, is in addition to the everyday residential treatment services that you offer, you are constantly seeking funding for additional pieces that really are critical to the wellness journey whether that's cultural services or whether it's clinical services, you have funding and you're able to do a certain set of activities on an ongoing basis until the funding runs out. But I imagine you're always looking for that ongoing permanent funding to ensure that you can continue to offer these services to clients seeking help um, related to their substance use and mental wellness And that's the story that your board of directors is interested in hearing about what is it like for that client um, or for that First Nations individual who is seeking support to overcome the trauma and substance use in their life and they have access to an elder who can provide therapeutic um, counseling services or the clinical counselor. So I imagine that that's a constant worry if you were ever to lose that funding. What is the quality of services that you're able to offer your clients? That is always at the forefront where every, we had just um, finished one of our programs and, you know, sending in again another proposal, hoping to get the funding and, you know, like I said a moment ago, we were lucky lucky that we were able to get that funding again for an additional two years. We know that these programs are helping people. We know that we need to do more um, wellness programming for for men. Um, and when we're looking at when we're looking at all of the the numbers and stuff in front of us, and the board see that. Um, we're able to get their, you know, there's a hundred percent support for, okay, you know what, they want to go down this, this avenue here to try and, to try and get funding. The support is right there right away because they know how much work has gone into it. They know that there's a lot of people accessing, um, accessing these services. Um, especially, you know, we, we try very unique things. And I think one of the ones that we did this year um, is we launched uh, we, we launched a book club, and the book club is on on wellness. And we had two hundred and fifty eight participants in the book club. Wow! And it was First Nations communities. Yes, two hundred and fifty individuals from First Nations yes. communities interested in your book club. In, in the book club, I know it was awesome. So you know, it, it's it's we're scattered and. The, you know, I have so many different things that we're looking at, which also makes it a little bit difficult when you're trying to explain the data and the collecting and the information and the importance of the accreditation. There's just so much involved. And, you know, it's almost like we, we, we have to sit down and, 
and do um, do a list of things one by one. Okay, we're working on this project, this project, this project. Why is this going to benefit us? But we see that every time we, we you know, there's a gap. We're always jumping in to make sure that we're doing what, whatever we can to, to, to fill it, to work with other communities. Like right now we're working, um, we're seeing a lot of, even through the ME, which helps us so much collecting that data. And the board sees That's this. the addictions management information system oh my that gosh. you're talking it's, about. It's absolutely amazing. So what we've noticed coming out of COVID was an increase in anxiety and stress. For clients that are coming into the program, like um, 83% are, wow. yeah, it's really, it's really high. And that's the numbers that have come out at the end of this year. So it, re- it, it went up, it probably went up about four or 5% from last year, which was even high from, from the previous years. So what we're doing now is that we're working with, um, we're working with a physician to help us navigate around these things to really to 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 see how we can help people better that you know coming in with with mental health um that might have mental health issues um and it it actually helps the staff to be a little more calmer you know getting that support i i just reached out to a physician and i said you know hey can can you guide us a little bit on this because we're seeing we're we're seeing things happening right now that we haven't seen before, and um, we could use a hand. And it's like it's, you know, if you just ask the right people, they'll they'll help you. We don't want to be turning I- individuals away that are looking for help. We want to do whatever we can to help them and give them that give them that one you know that that chance that one opportunity. That's hey, you know what? I can change my life here. You know, and I think one of the other, the biggest things as well, too, the AME system captures a lot with regards to, um, like I was saying a minute ago, with regards to the, the utilization. And in, in, in those numbers um, is a lot, of, a, lo- a lot of stuff that has to do with culture. And I think one of the biggest things for us is language in um you know having and those are the things that when if somebody asks us to explain these numbers that's what we can explain coming out of those numbers there's always you know the cultural there's real lives behind those numbers yeah yeah exactly they those numbers tell the story a part of the story of first nations people seeking wellness um from whatever challenges they face uh, related to substance use or or mental health, and a big story in those numbers is related to culture and language. You said absolutely. I see the the you know firsthand. Um, our counselors uh, are, I'd say, more than half of the staff are fluent in the language, um, and it it really makes a difference in within the program. Tell me more about that. I think that's a really, um, really critically important piece to what makes First Nations residential treatment services different than what they might be able to access um, outside of a First Nations community is language. So tell me how that makes a difference. 
So it's it's so important with language because, you know, like just for our community, you have fluent speakers, fluent Mi'kmaq speakers, and you have individuals who are, are around fluent speakers, but they're kind of, they're, um, they have half and half, half English, half Mi'kmaq. So, and then you have individuals who are completely English speaking. Um, but anybody who is in the community they're hearing Mi'kmaq all the time. They're hearing their language. So sometimes it's like the, 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 when they're, when someone is in distress or, um, you know, you're explaining things, explaining in, in a person's own language is more helpful because then they can understand it does things don't, the, the language is so different Things don't mean the same in English as they do in Mi'kmaq. So it's really it's really important um, to have individuals who are fluent in the language so that you, you, you and I see it, you know, trying to, somebody's um, worried or concerned and the first language, you know, it's, it's when you're speaking to them, they have to translate the English into their language and then, you know, they're getting a meaning from it. But if you're speaking to someone in their language, they're understanding it right away. And I think that right. falls in line with a lot with Albert Marshall's. Um, when you're talking about the two-eyed, two-eyed seeing approach and, and, and being able to um, take the best of both worlds as well, too. So it's, we, we want to make sure that language is a priority within our, on the online wellness program within everything that we do so it's it's both in both languages um the counselors it depends on if the individual wants to speak english or Mi'kmaq they have the option there to do that i see clients the success rate is there as far as um completion of programming it's just so important Mm. and also we do um, we have a sweat lodge keeper here at here at Mi'kmaq Lodge, and it's the sweat lodge is going all the time. And especially, you know, when individuals when you're in your third week of your programming and and um, you're talking about trauma, and you know, after clients have had a long day and they're talking about trauma, and they're always asking for a sweat. Hey, we're gonna do sweat tonight. It's it's so it's just so important, and it helps to ground them. Right. So those culturally based services are an everyday part of your program. Being able to talk to a counselor in their own original language, being able to access the sweat lodge for healing, wellness, grounding, helping them to process the trauma they've experienced in their life. That's everyday programming that Mi'kmaq Lodge and treatment centers have to offer. Those are important stories about what makes your services unique and more valuable to First Nations when they can access services in their language that reflects their culture. So you had 96 uh, clients in two treatment centers over the past year and of the clients that completed, I think you're at an average of 74% of your, of the people that came into your residential services completed your services. So 74% completion rate is good news for 
your staff. Uh, it's good news for the communities who are sending uh, people to your treatment center, for the chiefs that are sitting around your board table to know that your services make a difference. And they make a difference because you offer culture, you offer services and counseling in the language of the people. And so you have a roughly 74% completion rate. That is success. Earlier, you talked about um, the data and the difference it makes. And you said that it's good self-esteem for your staff. And the board appreciates the numbers, but they, the data, but it, they want to hear more about the stories behind that data, the difference that your services make. And that says that those stories are what is important for understanding both the need about the difference that your services make and what they can take back to their community, um, and telling the story about how the treat, two treatment centers are, are helping people in their recovery journey. I want to ask you a question because earlier you said um, compared to other services outside First Nations communities. And so I have the sense that there's always a comparison against provincial services. And if that comparison is because your indigenous specific services or what drives that need to compare first nations uh, treatment services against provincial services. Can you tell me about that? Mm. So I, what I see happening is that, you know, provincial services providing exact same type of programming. Well, it's not the exact same because we have, we have culture, and right. um, with regards to, you know, an abstinence-based or um, programming similar to ours, you would have the same type of program set up, which would be, you know, AANA, in-house programs that happen during an individual's treatment. They would have, you know, the resources that come in, say, they, they, you know, you, have, you would have your clinical therapist, you would have your... Um, you know, goal setting and self-esteem building and all of those things. But the the, the one... Those psychoeducational programs. Yeah, and, and the recreational type programs would all be similar with the exception that our, our staff who have the same qualifications and, and certifications would not be paid the same as those in, in, in other... Um, off reserve facilities. Our salaries are probably thirty seven, thirty six percent lower than than our counter, like the, the our, our counterparts working at other different uh, treatment centers uh, across the province and provinces. And um, we have not seen um, any increase in our contribution agreements except for the inflation on a yearly basis but they've never been looked at so when you know you're looking at trying to retain staff and um it's it's very difficult you know it's people who are working with us are here for a reason 
because they believe in what we're doing. They believe that, you know, it, it has to happen within the community and helping people. And I mean, otherwise, you know, some of the staff could just take off and, you know, go apply for these jobs elsewhere. I mean, the qualifications are the same. There's BSWs, we have clinical therapists, we have masters, mm -hmm. we have multiple degrees all over the place, but people believe in what we do. So people are motivated and committed to the healing and wellness of First Nations people. And it's that that motivates them and bolsters their commitment to stay in a low paying job. And it's that difference in pay that drives the comparison. If we're just as qualified as staff working in publicly funded provincial services. If we offer the same program uh, on many fronts, is there's a good comparison with provincial services, but we're paid 35 to 38% less, it raises a question. Why is that? Why are your staff of these two treatment centers that are accredited with standards of excellence, achieving, uh, able to, able to demonstrate that your culture and language is what keeps people um, committed to their own recovery journey. So that 74% of the clients coming into your treatment centers complete the treatment raises the question, if we're doing a good job, if we're qualified, and we can demonstrate that with our data, with our stats, with our client completion rates, with all of the extra programming that we're offering, why are we not paid the same? That's what you're saying is driving. The, the wage difference is what drives the comparison. Mm -hmm. We always feel that we are always having to prove ourselves on all levels. And even with the reporting requirements that we have, if some individuals see it, there's, wow, that's an awful lot of reporting. We have no choice. If we want to get that funding, we have to prove that we need it. But when you're meeting... Always in a process of trying to prove your worth. Exactly. And I mean, when the clients are in-house and we're you know, providing individuals with with help and you know sitting down and um, having those hard conversations helping them you know get through get through trauma and and providing them with tools that they can take when they when they leave here to help them on their journey and providing that you know that online wellness program came out in an absolute need through COVID and we didn't we had no idea that we would still be sitting here today and still providing it to think that 98 people completed that program this year that says a lot that you know there's there's people out there looking for help you know and we're going to do whatever we can to help them but we have to have individuals like my myself and a few of my my coworkers that have to crunch those numbers in order to in order to to get the funding that we need to keep this going. Um, and the sport of organizations like Thunderbirds and being able to have 
to have a voice and and showing the you know even showing the staff look you know what people see us they see us and we're not invisible they see us and they see that they see what we're doing and they were proving that these things can be done you know it's um when we'll, we will we will stand to fight with our board our board will always say you know natica natica fights for over 40 years natica fights for our people and the communities and those living off reserve those in incarceration you know like we do not limit to where we can provide our services you know it's we're reaching we're reaching a lot of people it's not easy because you know even even with providing all those numbers with the funding they don't give you money to hire more people <laughs> just you get uh you know the fun the funding is there to provide the service so you have to have a lot of committed individuals in in your organization that believe in what's going on and your board everybody has to be very supportive in order to to keep things going and you are talking about reaching out to clients that you would not have otherwise served. But through the online wellness program, you were able to reach folks who are incarcerated, for example. And you're talking about how that's not an easy thing to do is to reach people in different places that would um, otherwise not have access to services uh, for inpatients. So can you tell us about that effort that you put into reaching out to to clients in those different places. So when, say, for example, a, a social worker calls or a probation officer is calling and they're looking for um, to get into inpatient programming, and if there's a program that's going on, um, we've been we've been sending out the online wellness uh, calendar for the year. We've sent we sent it out everywhere, so they're. You know, it, it it's easy to to access um, individuals. We're seeing a lot of individuals who uh, live off reserve and um, maybe working, single parents, um, individuals in isolated communities. Um, you know, different parts of Canada um, that are accessing our programming. And this is this is filling this is filling some of the gaps for individuals who who wouldn't ha- otherwise have access. Um, the um, the one hour videos that are shown each day for during a four week four week cycle, um, the individual can also ac- access that any time of the day, night or day, and there's always a counselor that will will get flagged. So somebody will have in their, in, in, in a messages, um, if somebody's asking questions and it's all private, it's through Google classroom. So nobody, nobody has any idea who's on the program. There's complete confidentiality with, with the entire program. We do a, um, uh, release of information. And also we have a, a confidentiality, uh, forums done up as well too so that we just make sure that everything is covered and people know what you know um, what they're accessing we send them out kits and the kits they end they have a there's a manual in the kit there's iPods so that they can have privacy if they're you know using their phone or their laptop 
uh, notebooks, pens, and beading kits. Beading kits because the beading we've made it a part of the uh, one of the one of the sessions in the online program for people to learn how to bead. Now we'll also have um, the kits with um, the porcupine porcupine quills and birch bark. So you know if people are able to make those those you know traditional crafts that we sometimes we take it for granted some communities do that all the time but other communities may not they may not have access to those um kits or there it may not be happening in in their community so you know we we send out these kits we do a little basket making kits the quill kits and the and the beading kits and there's all there's also um an instructor um, during the program that will come on and they'll teach them how to do it. So then if there's any other questions and if somebody asks would like another kit, then we will send them another kit. So um, with all of those things, you know, when you see 98 individuals that we were able to help in some way, we've even, we've even sent um, program packages to shelters, men's shelters, in in new brunswick area and they've they've utilized that in their programming so you're seeing you're seeing a lot of people that are pushing to have um because there's a lot of homelessness there's so so many issues with homelessness um that we're able to you know hey you can you can access this this program individuals can do it on their own and if there's a worker in the facility because most people there's no funding to have all the staff there so individuals are able to access this on their own as well too so you're providing support to other social service type organizations who might be serving first nations people and um by providing the resources, the actual materials um, to engage in cultural activities, but they also have access to that psychoeducational videos you talked about, as well as a counselor that is there to address any individual's needs from time to time. I think one of the other things I might add to it as well, too, so if an individual, and, and this is probably something that we're not capturing the, in the ME, if an individual leaves our program, they're provided with a kit and the connection with the online program so that they can continue their treatment via the online program. So wow. we're probably catching those numbers in the, the ones that have completed the online wellness Um so if they if they were discharged for a medical reason, I've seen this so many times, medical reason or you know, we've had we've had clients that had had covid and so you know, we have testing and everything in place, but you know, it's for the safety of everybody. This is early on. We're in a different place right. now. Um, but what we would do is we would just switch them right on to the online program so then they would still have access to the clinical therapist, um, a counselor, um, and cultural therapists, and that actually has been very successful. You know, very comprehensive services for sure. Mm-hmm. Donna, we only have a couple of minutes left. What do you want to say that I haven't asked you about already around the quality of your addictions treatment services or your prevention services? I think the biggest thing is that 
you know, and I'd already said with regards to the, you know, the, the staff all work hard. And they're here for a reason. They're here to help people. And if somebody ever doubts that, you know, that's, uh, I hope that I've been able to answer any of those questions. Um, we, we are seeing an increase, you know, with, like I said earlier, with mental health issues, with anxiety and, and stress-related. And, and we are doing our due diligence and not waiting for someone to, to come and, and um, take us by the hand and say, okay, well, you need to learn this, this, and this. We're, we're reaching out to find somebody to help us, you know, just... In, to find the resources to always improve your services yeah. to meet client needs. We, we, can't, we can't sit and wait because it's not going to come. It's, you know, if, you, right. if, if, if you're waiting for somebody to come and help us, that's not good. I've never seen it happen. So it's, except for Thunderbird, I have to put, I have to say, you know, Thunderbird has, has always been a huge support of Natica. And even throughout, throughout the, throughout the pandemic, um, you know, being there when, you know, the, your managers, your supervisors, everybody is at that point of decision fatigue and, and nobody wants to nobody wants to make one more decision on anything because they've just, you know, we, you've just had to reroute your entire lives. And, you know, staying open. Um, mm-hmm. We were two of very few facilities Changing across the country that, that remained open to inpatient programming. And it's because of those, the, you know, those supports from Thunderbird as well, too, that helped us to, you know, make sure that we were following, you know, the, the, the national guidelines for um, infectious disease control, whatever they had. I'm not a doctor, so but whatever they had, we needed to make sure that we had everything in place. And, and you know, to have that, to have that resource when you're, like I just said, you know, if you're not a physician, you're not you're not a nurse. You really need to, and and, and you're trying to do the best that you can for for, you know, the the people that are coming in and and not wanting to shut things down and having those supports in place really made a difference to the success of what what we were able to do in that that three years throughout that pandemic. And I think even at the end of it, I and I remember I said to the staff. A couple of weeks ago, we had a little get together, and I said, "You know, I think we grew stronger spiritually and even mentally that we were able to we were able to get through this, and we did it in one piece, and we've come we've come out the other end stronger. And you know, thank goodness we didn't lose any staff along the way, and." Um, that says a lot. That says a lot to, you know, where people are. And and I know I remember the first day they, they locked down the province. And it was on the, I think it was the 18th of March. And that was back in 2020. And the first thing that came out of the mouths of the counselors, what about our clients? How are we going to help them? So those, those are the things that, you know, I want I want people to know is that, we we're here for the long haul, and we we will do whatever we can and address any issues. And if if we have gaps, we'll address them, and we will provide the best the best quality of care that we can. Awesome, well said. A staff that is committed 
to the wellness of First Nations people, whether they're paid appropriately or not, despite a pandemic, whether the workload is appropriate, I mean, that's probably not the right word, whether, you know, the needs of the people that are being served are within the skill set of the organization or not, you will do everything you can reaching out to other resources to find the right way uh, to support people, First Nations people, um, through culture, through their own language, through the right clinical skills, through the right mode, whether it's in-person, virtual, outpatient, prevention. You do a lot of quality work, and that's what we heard today in today's podcast. And I want to thank you so much, Donna, for sharing with us today, for highlighting your accreditation journey, uh, for the support you receive from the chiefs that form your board of directors, um, the high-quality monitoring of your services through all of the data collection efforts that you have to demonstrate the strength of your services. Uh, I just want to say on behalf of Thunderbird Partnership Foundation, recognition for the great work that you're doing and say thank you so much for that commitment to the healing and wellness of First Nations. Thank you, Carol. And thank all of you for listening to this episode of Minobimatsuin. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and where you listen. It helps people to find these interviews. And please hit subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. For more information on the work of Thunderbird Partnership Foundation, please visit the website at thunderbirdpf.org. And be sure to follow us on social media. Just search for us at Thunderbird PF. Miigwech and thanks for listening. Until next time, I'm Carol Hopkins.